Purple Elephant, food for thought. Even enjoyment and fun takes discipline and concentration. Welcome to Purple Elephant Radio, where we discuss the mindsets, philosophies, and strategies needed to make art and tell stories that make a dent in this era of abundance. This is a show for the unbound creative, the undefinable artists, and the unidentified philosophers. I'm your host, Sean Green. Hopefully you just heard a new and updated intro. Maybe when you clicked on this, you saw a new cover for the podcast. And the reason for all that is Purple Elephant is entering a new era. A new era meaning some things are going to have to stop. I'm not going to be able to devote as much time to it. But at the same time, some things are going to grow. And one of the things I've realized, just jumping straight into it, is that this hiatus, which I like that word, so I'm going to keep calling it that, but the break from the podcast and pretty much all Purple Elephant-related media, in that hiatus, I realized podcasting was one of the highest returns with the lowest effort for me. And by that, I mean the work it takes to make this podcast is so low compared to what I learn from the conversations I have, or if I'm doing a solo episode, what I'm forcing myself to learn by going deep on a certain topic, or that effort to reward ratio was unbelievably stacked in the favor of rewards. And I think taking a break from this podcast helped me realize that. But why did I even stop the podcast? Or why did I let my break go from two weeks to three weeks to months and months? And why am I starting up now? Well, the major change, which you may have heard if you listened to the last mini trailer for this season, is that I graduated college. And with that, I got my first full-time job. And all that hectic stress kind of forced me to push this to the side. It didn't force me, but I chose to put the Purple Elephant stuff to the side. And a major part of that is my current job, which I, I do want to get into because I think there's some lessons to learn from it, doesn't really involve the creativity that I use for Purple Elephant. I had to take a break from it, from the writing, from the podcast, from the thoughts videos, from the Instagram. I took a break from all of it. And podcasting, like I've said, is one of those things that I realized I want to do this. I want to keep doing this. I love the podcast. So what you might hear in this new era of the podcast, which I'm calling an era because I'm not really going to go back to seasons in the classic sense. Yes, this is season five, but I don't think there will be a season six or seven. I think this will go on as long as it takes. When I was doing thematically related seasons, I kind of pigeonholed myself. I remember with season two, talking to teachers, there were a few times where I wanted to interview a, a friend, a filmmaker, and, and it just didn't work with the the season, and so I kind of had to put it off and eventually not do it at all. So yes, there will be a little less organization in terms of uh, season by season, but I think the upside of that will be more variability in the conversation. You'll find more ideas, more combinational creativity. That was something I used to talk about a lot. 
but just bringing in ideas from all different industries, all different fields, mediums, you name it. It's all going to be mixed together in the new Purple Elephant Radio seasonless season. Now let's change topics. Now let's go into the past a little bit and maybe the future and maybe the present, but a lot of the past. Now, I said in the last episode, the little short trailer, that I wanted to devote this episode, the majority of it, to my reflections on college, because that was the major life change between this episode and when the the last episode was released. So as I think I've said, I have gotten a full-time job. It's at a marketing agency, and it's very analytics-focused, very data-heavy. That's all you really need to know about it. Why I'm telling you this is because it's already taught me, just working there in the few weeks that I have, it's taught me a few important lessons about creativity and really made me appreciate the past free time I had in college. So maybe as you're listening to these lessons I'm going to share, you might take something less for granted, maybe a little bit more grateful for your time if you're currently in college, or you may realize all hope is not lost if you're working a a full-time job and you still want to be a creative. I want to be proof that you can do both if you're committed. So three things that I've learned about creativity since working this job. Number one, I was very lucky, very, very lucky to have the free time I had in college to work on Purple Elephant. I know not everyone in college has that luxury. I know if you're studying to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, you will not have the free time that I had as a film major. But I do think I'm talking to a lot of creatives, so I hope this message will resonate. But I would say in college, 70% of my creative projects were not for a grade and could not be justified as schoolwork. And a part of me knew how much free time I had, but... I think now that I'm working 40, 45 hours a week, I realize that, well, I'm going to have to adapt. It's not possible for me to work at the time I want to work anymore. I'd say my prime writing hours are between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Guess what? I'm working then now during the weekdays and on the weekend I can still have that, that free time, but I have to adapt my creativity schedule. I don't get to work around when I feel like it anymore. So I had that luxury in college and I don't have it anymore. And it's difficult to wake up earlier to write before work or to do it after work, which I'm still struggling to get in the habit of. But I want to say as a lesson about creativity is you don't need to work when you feel like it. Work when you can on your creative projects. Force yourself to start. And I think when I said this message a year ago, I was coming from a very fortunate perspective. You know, I did have a massive amount of free time and I don't anymore. And I want to make it clear. I want to be proof that it is possible to make that time even when it feels like you don't have the time. Lesson number two. Like I said, my current job is not related to video production or writing, which I would say are my two skill sets, two creative mediums that I really like to work in. But I realized in working this job that is, you could call it creative with air quotes because it technically is 
writing ads occasionally. It is working in a advertising agency. I'm not on the uh, business side of things. I'm on the creating campaigns. But I think the lesson that I've learned in working this job, even though it's not video production or writing, is that working a job that involves the creative medium you want to make art and express yourself in is not the same as making art in that medium. Let me say that again. Just because you have a paying job in a creative medium that you love does not mean you are making art in that medium. I know it sounds simple, but I think, and and now I'm speaking more from my freelance videography perspective, but what I realized with that is, yeah, I like holding a camera, but what I really like is telling stories, is writing scripts and filming them. I don't necessarily love holding the camera and getting a shot. It's the act of storytelling, and that is not easily paid for, not easily paid for by a, a larger business. Now, in my current job, do I have creativity in terms of problem solving? Yes. Creativity in terms of uh, finding ways to be more efficient? Yeah, I have that. Creativity in terms of abstract ideas brought to fruition? No. And that is the creativity I love when I make this podcast, when I write, when I make a film. That's the creativity I'm after. And for those of you who maybe you're about to graduate college and you're looking at jobs in your um, creative medium that you love, whether you're a, an artist or a filmmaker or a musician, just ask yourself, do I love the skill of doing this thing? Or do I love the creativity involved in turning nothing into something? Now, I don't bring that up because I think everyone's going to be working in a big corporation doing, you know, writing content or making films. I don't think that at all. But I bring that up for the people who strive to be content creators, who strive to make a living on YouTube, on as an influencer, you know, whatever platform you want to make your mark in. For the people who strive for that, you have to almost put your ego aside and make decisions based off numbers, not instinct, not creative expression. And that brings me to my third point, my third realization. The third thing I learned is this. Keep art and business separate. Keep art and business separate. I think it is incredibly important to realize this. I think when I, maybe I said something like it before, but now I really have that perspective. And I think this is going to be worth a longer episode, worth a little bit of a, a deeper dive, but here's my basic justification. Art is full of ego, full of self-expression, and business is about growth and profit and serving something bigger than yourself, something other than yourself. Now, I think the incompatibility between art and business is simply this. Self-expression, it can't survive in business. It can exist. It can be the starting point. But it can't be the only thing you use to run a successful business. You can start by expressing yourself. I mean, Purple Elephant is not based on some, you know, data study. Oh, people are searching for Purple Elephant, so I need to make a a podcast about it. No, I mean, that is self-expression, my self-expression. But the second a piece of data contradicts your artistic idea at least in a statistically significant way. If you don't drop your 
original idea and go with what people want, then you will go out of business. And so when I talked about in the past, you know, keeping your dignity as an artist, being a starving artist, what you have to do is, well, you could be a starving artist, but a portion of your life, a majority or at least equal number of hours in your week have to be devoted to serving others, either through your content or working just the classic 40-hour-a-week job. You have to have a portion of your life that is not based on what you want, what you think is right. That is based on data. That is based on, and I I hate saying this, but I've realized it's true. That's based on the algorithms. Yes, the algorithms, the one thing that I was always against. That and clickbait titles and listicles. Those are my three big things I was against, and now my mind has been changed, at least in some parts of the Purple Elephant world. At least in the podcast, at least in the thoughts videos. The films will stay as purely expressive things. Any fictional writing I do will stay as a pure form of self-expression. But I have to have portions that follow the data, (laughs) that take recommendations based on reality. I think it's Jim Rohn who says, when it comes to being valuable, the only thing that matters for reality is being valuable to the marketplace. He says, you know, of course you can be valuable as a, a person who matters. I mean, you're a human being. But to the marketplace, which is called what? Reality. Reality is if you're not very valuable, you don't get much money. We can probably have an amazing debate going back and forth between whether that's true or not. But that's my opinion. Those are the three lessons I learned since starting my job. The fact that I was very lucky with my free time in the past, and now I'm going to have to find a way to make my creativity work around my schedule. Two, that working in a creative medium job is not the same as making art in that medium. And three, which goes along with two, is keep art and business separate. Find a form of work that does not involve what you think is right and is purely ego-based. But have a form of your life that is like that. Keep them separate. And now, to college itself. What did I learn? Was it worth it? Would I do it again? Would I get a master's? Doctorate? I'll just quickly answer that last one. No way. (laughs) But I did learn five major lessons in college that I want to share with you. And whether, again, whether you're in college yourself, whether you're recently graduated, or whether you're an old person, you will hopefully find a takeaway from one of these five lessons. Lesson number one. In my major, which I've already said is not engineering, it's not an 80-hour-a-week study fest, I realized that the 80-20 rule applied. Pareto's principle. 80% of my social life and my best memories from college came from 20% of my time. And for me, that 20% of my time was the comedy organizations I was in. Improv, sketch comedy, um, uh, stand-up club. And with that, I think for someone who, maybe you're a high schooler, I don't know who's listening to this, but if you're about to go to college, I think the only way you can currently justify a a four-year degree at a major school, based on the fact that we have all this um, online courses now that really can give you any skill you want, if you're willing to work at it, I think extracurriculars are the only justification 
for the price of tuition, which is still way too high, but I think extracurriculars are the only justification for the price. So I think if you are not at least devoting 20% of your time to an extracurricular you're really passionate about, that doesn't involve putting something on your CV, that does something completely unrelated to school, if you're not taking advantage of that, then get the fuck out of college. I mean, college itself is not worth it unless you're willing to take advantage of the social aspect and not the party aspect. I think that's fun, but the social aspect that involves a club, that involves an organization. That's lesson one. Take advantage of social organizations, not Greek life, the clubs that stand for something, that do something, that make something. Lesson number two, which really applies to filmmakers, but I think for any creative, you can find a way to bring this into your own life. Lesson number two is this, invest in your own equipment. You won't believe the amount of freedom I've had and the opportunities I've been able to take advantage of. Being in college because I had my own camera, because I had my own microphone, my own lights. Now, obviously if you were, this specifically for filmmakers, if you are in a, a film production major and you have access to an amazing arsenal of really expensive equipment, of course take advantage of that. But invest in your own equipment so that you're not, so that the floor isn't dropped from under you the second you graduate and you no longer have access to those cameras. The other upside of that is, you know, my, my camera, none of the, the school checkout areas have the camera that I have, but I've been using my current camera for a class project since I've been a, a sophomore. Because of that, I've been able to master the camera that I use. And I'm more empowered because of it. I'm more skilled because of it. Lesson number two, invest in your own equipment. Lesson number three, find, before I say it, it's very important. I think this might be the major lesson. Number three is find a way to justify ownership of your creativity. In college, find a way to justify ownership of your creativity. Major lesson that I picked up, and it's probably from the, the comedy organizations I mentioned just a second ago, or maybe it's from a few individuals who have successful YouTube channels. But with that, I realized two things. A, you know, set more projects, create more projects than you're assigned in your production classes, your studio classes. Go above and beyond, not for to, you know, be a teacher's pet and impress your teacher, but for yourself, for your portfolio. For me, Purple Elephant kicked off that personal project exploration. And I'll say almost every project I did for a class, a creative class, has appeared in some medium under the Purple Elephant brand. A lot of the films that I made were either stories I wrote for an English class or scripts I wrote for a film class or we, you know, we had to make a film, but I posted it to my own channel. I don't turn it into the teacher and forget about it for the rest of my life if I'm proud of it, which for the most part, I'm proud of the stuff that I make. And I've seen this. I want to compliment and shout out my two roommates, two of my roommates, um, Ben and Nathan. Neither of them are music majors, but they're making music. They are working on their personal projects while still in college, taking advantage of their free time. Another shout out to my girlfriend, Sveta, who again goes above and beyond in terms of creating projects for herself. Projects that no, no one's assigning to her, but because she understands that a portfolio matters more for a creative than the grade you get in a class. So set personal projects. So there's two ways of looking at it. You can either create new projects from scratch or find a way to 
put the the projects you've made for class, share them to the world. So you can kind of look that that from two sides of the coin. And I think take advantage of both. Make your own projects and post the projects you made for a class. Lesson number four, and this one is going to apply to graduates. Lesson number four is don't idealize your time at college. Don't get nostalgic about it. Don't let yourself get nostalgic about it. Yes, I've said all these benefits and things I've loved about college. I had more free time. I liked not having class on Fridays. I liked to party. I liked all the events, the shows, the, the, the projects that we worked on, but it was far from perfect. Maybe the creative types who hear this will understand. Maybe I'm thinking of Greek life students who idealize their time because they got to party 24-7, but I think it applies to everyone. I think it's parents and just older people who pass on the message, you know, enjoy your time while you can. It won't last forever. Oh, I loved college. I wish I could go back every day. I wish I could go back to college. I think that's a horrible message. I think that does the exact opposite effect of what that person is trying to accomplish. Of course, I want you to be more grateful, but I think what that does is make us fear graduating college when in fact this stage of my life is probably going to be more exciting, more adventurous than my three and a half years at school. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to meet more people. I'm going to be making money, investing money, making new projects, working with new people. When you look at it that way, it's obvious that you don't need to idealize college. You don't need to look back at it and wish you could go to it every day because every stage of your life can be looked at as beneficial, amazing, exciting, or stressful, boring, monotonous. We can justify either side for any stage of our life. Don't forget that. Now, lesson number five. And again, this applies more to graduate, graduated people than, and than college students. But lesson number five, which I think is very important, almost as important as lesson number three, which if you remember, justify ownership of your creativity. Lesson number five is set massive goals after school. Goals that will take five years, 10 years, 20 years to accomplish. Goals that don't relate to getting a raise or a promotion in the job you're after. Why? Because college has that long-term goal built into it. You know, graduate in four years. That's it. That's a big goal. It's not an easy goal. It's a long-term goal, but it is automatic. That is implied when you go to college. Life after college doesn't have that. And I'll tell you from experience, getting a job is not a long-term goal. It's not the built-in goal when you go into the real world. It's not. You know, after I got my job, yeah, I was excited for about three days. And now I'm working and it's fine. I love the people I work with, but it's not this exciting thrill of every day I wake up. Oh, wow, I'm in the working world. No, that's not a long-term goal. That's not a massive goal. And I have some bigger goals that I've written down and more that I will write down and work towards. But here's the other reason I think it's important to set massive goals after school. I think money is a handicap on how big we can dream. I think when we're the broke college student, we don't think that far ahead. We can't even possibly fathom owning a house, buying real estate, investing, maxing out a Roth IRA account, stuff that I've talked about if you go back to episode 25. But all that stuff, we almost need a paycheck. We almost need some money in our bank to think that big, to think about longer-term wealth. 
So I would challenge you if you do, if you've recently got a job, you know, look back at your goals. Are they big enough? Do they stretch you? And maybe your goal is just to learn about building wealth, which I, I don't want to make it seem like all your goals have to be around wealth. You know, writing a book, that's an amazing long-term goal. Learning an instrument, learning a language, all those. those might It might take five years to be fluent in Italian for me. And I haven't started learning that, but once I do, I understand that it's a longer-term goal. I understand that I'm not going to be fluent in three weeks. And the other major reason for this setting massive goals that don't involve jobs, that don't involve the current work you do on a nine-to-five basis, is because you run the risk of the nine-to-five rut, where you don't work on any of your goals. You don't try to accomplish any of them because you're always too tired from a day's work. So every day it goes, wake up, drink coffee, do my job for eight hours, for nine hours, go home, work out, shower, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed every single day. Don't run into that rut. Set the goals early and often. I'll get off my goal setting high horse now. Now, before this episode wraps up, I wanted to also say three things I wish I did in college. Not regrets, but if I had another opportunity, if I knew what I knew now, I would do these things. Number one, I wish I collaborated with more classmates. I wish that every semester I would have made two or three new friends who I can count on to work on a film. I definitely made a few film friends and obviously all the people in the comedy organizations, they've been a major factor in helping me make films, inspiring me. But I wish, you know, I set a goal every semester to meet a few new people and to be able to help them out and for them to help me out, to have kind of a longer term connection, a larger network. Number two, I wish I took more hands-on art classes. Why? To have an unrelated skill. Skill, not knowledge. I took enough lecture classes where I learned about something unrelated to what I'm currently doing, to any film or writing or creativity. I took enough of those classes. But almost none of what I learned related to how to do something. Now, like something like the Adobe Suite, that applies to what I'm doing, so I wouldn't say that's an unrelated skill. But something like learning how to make a pot in ceramics, learning how to use a, a pottery wheel, that would be an unrelated skill. Wood shop, all those things. I only took two art classes that were required. And I think if I went back, I would work one or two more into my schedule. Number three is I wish I utilized my professors more. It's probably a mix of fear and a mix of arrogance that I didn't go to all the office hours I possibly could. And season two of this podcast, I had an amazing opportunity to interview a lot of the, the creative professors. And I felt like I learned a lot from them, but an hour-long conversation can only give me so much. And not only that, I learned about them. I feel like the most valuable thing about a professor is their ability to give feedback. At least in these creative classes I've I mentioned, that's the major upside. That's the major skill is precise, specific feedback. I felt like in a lot of my classes, even my capstone class, there were always a good chunk of students who, for whatever reason, they didn't give it their all. Both in their work and their feedback, 
but I've never, ever had a professor who didn't leave me with an actionable takeaway that influences my future work that I will stay with the rest of my life. I remember very specifically my first film production class, Melissa Lewis. She said very, very simple technique for blending audio together in Premiere. I've never forgotten it. And I use it all the time for this podcast. So to cut out most of the ums and uhs and you knows, I use her technique. And maybe it's not her technique, but she taught it to me. You know, ask for one-on-ones with your teacher when it's not required and come prepared. Know what you want feedback on. Ask precise questions. Don't just say, can you help me? I'm stuck. Find out specifically what you want, what you want their expertise toward. So that was all of them. I know I gave you a lot. (laughs) I tried to simplify it by breaking it into numbered format, but a lot of lessons, a lot of takeaways, a lot of realizations. I hope you got something useful from it. Purple Elephant Radio is back and here to stay. Please share this episode if you're listening this far. If you enjoyed it, make a, write a review. I think Spotify just started being able to do that. If you have any feedback, if you have anything you want an episode on, let me know and I will do my homework to make that episode possible. Thanks for listening.